We're in John chapter 6, so if you would turn there in your Bibles, John chapter 6. Have you been enjoying our study through John's Gospel? It's been so rich. I don't know how many times I've taught through the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel. I, you know, but I just, every time we go through a book, um, it, I glean so much uh, each time. And, and that's the nature of the Word of God, you know, because it's not like any other book. It's alive, it's living, and there's always application to glean. Uh, you know, Tracy and I and our family, before moving up here, we used to live in gold mine country. We lived in Grass Valley and uh, kind of the 49ers and the gold rush and all of that. And all around Grass Valley in that region, there were mines. The big one was the Empire Mine. And, and so that was the theme, of course, of the town and, and all the little towns or villages in that area. And the thing about a miner is that you got to be diligent. You know, you'd hear all these stories about the miner that just didn't go far enough. And then, you know, if he would have got another foot, you know, he would have hit that vein of gold and become a millionaire when that used to mean something. Anyway, John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because, this is why, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased or sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover... A feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. Father, we pray that you would teach us, Lord. It is your word. It is alive. Uh, there is so much for your people, Lord, maybe not for the non-believer. The non-believer, they could hear these things, and it probably sounds like uh, the, you know, Charlie Brown cartoons, whenever an adult would speak. But for the believer who has your spirit, Lord, I pray that there would be life application that would jump off the page. So feed us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do you know, the feeding of the 5,000 is uh, obviously a text that's so familiar with most people who attend church. All four of the gospel writers uh, tell us about the feeding of the 5,000. John doesn't tell us about the feeding of the 4,000, which has caused some to think, some to believe, that the feeding of the 4,000 never took place that it was just a repeat of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, doesn't that seem ridiculous? Listen, there's a lot of ridiculous things that come out of, you know, the halls of the learned, you know. They, they, they repeat the same story over again, and then they, they get the number wrong? No, there were two different feedings, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Today, we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. You look at it and you say, I know the story. A few small loaves, barley loaves to be specific, a few small fish. Jesus multiplied them and fed a multitude. Close your Bible, go home, enjoy the day. No, no, no. You know what? There's so much more that we could glean from this. Do you know that um, 
if all we had was the Gospel of John, personally for me, reading John's Gospel account, I would kind of think that, well, Jesus and his disciples, they went over the Sea of Galilee, they arrive at this location, um, this multitude of people come, they're there because it's Passover, and, and John gives us insight, you know, for the non-Jewish reader, what is Passover? Well, it's a feast of the Jews. That's why all the Jews were there, that's why all the people were there, because they were on pilgrimage to the temple. And so Jesus, he's there on the mountain, his disciples are there, this multitude comes to Jesus, Jesus feeds them, and that's how it goes down. But of course, when you look at the other gospel accounts, we see that that's really not how it went down at all. In fact, we're given so much more information that many times I think we just overlook. For example, Mark, in his gospel account, he tells us that the multitude, let me read it, he says, they, the multitude, speaking of the multitude, arrived before them and came together to him. So they were there, the multitude was there when Jesus and the disciples arrived to that location. And we're told in, in Matthew's gospel account that the meal, this miraculous meal that took place, it actually happened when it was evening. Now you wouldn't gather that from John's gospel. You would assume that maybe this was earlier on in the day. In fact, I think many times when I've taught through this text, I usually refer to a lunch. But if it was in the evening, it might be better said a supper or a dinner. Mark tells us that it was when the day was far spent, and Luke tells us that it was when the day began to wear away. Matthew tells us in his gospel account that the feeding of the 5,000, that there was about uh, 5,000 men besides women and children. So that's insightful, isn't it? I mean, 5,000 is impressive, but there are some Bible commentators that suggest that there might have been up to 20,000 counting women and children. Well, that's really impressive. I'll be honest with you, I'm impressed with the five and the four. Then Luke tells us that Jesus, quote, received them, that is the multitude, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's in Luke chapter 9, verse 11. This is an important detail that many times is overlooked. Listen, the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just about eating. Jesus taught the people. We could open those back doors, please. Jesus taught the people concerning the kingdom of God, according to Luke's gospel account. And then Matthew and Mark, well, they tell us that when Jesus saw the multitude, that he was, quote, moved with compassion for them. Well, John doesn't mention anything about that, but Matthew and Luke did, moved with compassion. Another important detail that we must not overlook because it really tells us of the heart of the Lord. And then Matthew tells us that Jesus healed their sick in Matthew chapter 14. Um, I'm sorry, yes, Matthew 14. And then Luke tells us the same thing in his account of the feeding of the 5,000. He says that he healed those who had need of healing. So again, further information, right? It's not just a meal. Jesus taught them. Jesus healed their sick. So this gives us a better understanding. 
they had been there for a while before Jesus fed them. They had been with Jesus. They had heard about Jesus. They had, they had heard that Jesus was healing people who were diseased, people who had infirmities. He was touching them. He was healing them. But you know, in John's gospel, we haven't seen that yet. I mean, we've seen a lame man be healed, but John hasn't mentioned any diseased people. Remember, we looked at this last week in John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31, where John, he gives a commentary on his own gospel account, and he says, and truly, Jesus did many other signs. Remember, he just recorded seven signs in his gospel account. But he says, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, these seven are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we get further information. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You know, they tell us that the feeding of the 5,000 took place after a sad event. Do you know what I'm referring to? It was after Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded. John doesn't mention that. John doesn't mention anything about Jesus or John the Baptist being beheaded. In fact, the only thing that, that John says about John the Baptist after he speaks about his baptism, his ministry, baptism of repentance, he makes reference to the fact that this took place, that, that people were going out to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized and not going to John and his disciples as much any longer. And, and John gives a little commentary there, and he says, and, and this was before John was put in prison. So do you see what I'm saying, guys? That As you look at the scriptures, you realize that there's so much more that you can glean. I say it, I think, every time we get together. The Bible's not boring. And yet, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize to you. If you've come to believe that the Bible is boring because you know Christians that treat the Bible as if it's boring. They're not rightly representing the Bible because the Bible is not boring. Um, the Bible is alive. The Bible, I'll tell you, there is so much to glean, so much to apply to our lives. Well, verse 5, then Jesus lifted up his eyes. People were flocking to Jesus. Guys, in John's gospel account, we could say that in chapter 6 is when we really see the popularity of Jesus taking off. I mean, people had heard about Jesus. Maybe people had their own personal encounter with Jesus. They've maybe been exposed to the teachings of Jesus. And now people, more and more people are coming. I could almost imagine families living outside of Jerusalem. They're making their pilgrimage into the temple, into Jerusalem. As they would travel along, they would talk with one another. How do you think the Passover will be this year? Oh, I think it will be glorious as it always is there at the temple. Have you heard about Yeshua? Who? You know, Yeshua of Nazareth. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he's really caused quite a stir all around the Galilee and even in Jerusalem. And they'd begin to talk and tell stories about what they had heard. And, and like, you know, human nature as it is, the interests would begin to rise 
we would say, well, maybe we'll see him. Maybe, maybe it won't be just Passover, a time to look back and reflect upon what our forefathers had gone through, had encountered. But, but maybe we might meet this, this man, whoever he is. Guys, we need to remember that when you read the scriptures, when you read the gospel accounts, you're reading the gospel accounts written by men who had come to know Jesus, but they're writing about their coming to know Jesus. They're not saying, let me tell you everything I could tell you about Jesus. No, they're showing us. They're saying, in essence, they were very transparent. They really were very humble men because, in essence, they were saying, you know what? We didn't have a clue. We didn't know which way was up. We, we, you know, we, would, we, we thought we had him figured out, and then he would do something or say something and just kind of throw us for our loop, and, and we're learning. And, and, and even up to the night that he was arrested, and, and, and you know, we were arguing on that night. We were arguing about which one of us was the greatest among us. I'm so embarrassed that we even did that now. And then maybe they would be saying, you know, and we got to record, we got to make it clear that, that we did what was prophesied by the prophets long ago, and Jesus told us that the shepherd would be, and the sheep would, remember, the sheep would flee, they would scatter. And they would say, you know what, we weren't there. When our Lord was being crucified, we weren't there. John was there. John was there because he brought Mary because her own sons, her own children didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. But John was there, but the rest of us, we fled because we were afraid what might happen to us. Do you know that Mark tells us in his gospel account that the feeding of the 5,000 not only followed Jesus hearing that John the Baptist had been beheaded, but it followed a time of ministry. Jesus had sent the 12 out two by two. He gave them power and authority to do the things that he was doing. And they come back from this mission trip. And it's interesting when you consider the, the information, the, you know, the details, the instruction that Jesus gave to them. He told them what to bring, what not to bring, how to approach a particular village. If they accept you, you stay there. You don't look for a better place to stay. If they reject you, then shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next city. You're on mission. You go from place to place. You follow my instructions. And they had no idea at the time that they were learning Lessons that they would need later on in their life. Guys, by the way, that's a bit of life application. Whatever you're going through now, you could become bitter and sour, or you could say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm trusting that you're working these things out for my good, that you're preparing me, that you're training me for the future, for whatever I might face tomorrow. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. Jesus, he, he lifts up his eyes. He sees the multitude coming out to him. His disciples have just come back from a mission trip. We're not sure how long that they were gone. But Jesus said to them, again, reading from Mark's gospel account, Jesus said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. 
You know, I think that those words were probably very pleasing to hear. Say, what words? By yourselves, deserted place, rest. I think that probably sounded really, really good to them. Let's go. Let's go to wherever this place is, this deserted place, by ourselves. We can rest. We can talk to Jesus about what we did and what we taught and, and, and all of these things. I mean, we've told them a, a bit of it, but we want to really be able to elaborate on these things. Mark tells us again in his gospel account, you might say, well, why aren't you teaching out of Mark? Because we're in John's gospel. But Mark tells us that there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat, so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So again, we have further information, right? So why did they go to this deserted place? Well, because they didn't have any time to themselves. People were coming and going. People, you know, the popularity was growing. Now the 12 have gone out, and they've been ministering. And now people are coming out, and they want to be touched. They want to be healed. They just want to be around Jesus and his disciples. And so that's why they departed. But of course, when you read the biblical accounts, the gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 and the things that led up to that, we know that once they arrived at the deserted place, it was not deserted. It was full of people. Surprise, surprise. Verse 5 says, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. Do you know, guys, that Jesus, when he saw the multitude, he was not annoyed by them. He was not angry that the people had beat them there, <laughs> had arrived there before, before they did. Jesus, as mentioned earlier, was moved with compassion for the people. Uh, the word compassion in the Greek, it literally means his heart went out to them. You know, uh, that's a test. That's a test of our heart. When we hear about someone struggling, when we see someone who's really going through it, you know, I, I, I think of, you know, kind of the norm now in every community, surely in the United States, is we have homeless people. I remember when you, you didn't see homeless people. I remember as a kid, uh, my father would talk about, he grew up in Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana. His house, the family house, was right on a river. I don't know what river it was. But he said that uh, when he was a boy, there would be hobos. They would call them hobos. Uh, they would live in the woods there, and they would camp out there. And, and uh, every now and again, a hobo, he says, there were so few and far between, they would come up, a guy that fell on hard times, they would come up, and his, his father was a musician. He played guitar and banjo and had his own band, and um, probably bluegrass, I'm assuming, back then, you know. And, and um, his mother would invite the hobos up on their covered uh, porch to have some apple pie or dinner or something like that. And uh, you kind of get a different picture of, of people on hard times than we do today. Of course, we don't have people that are just on hard times. We have people that are, um, sadly, many of them are just out of their mind. You know, these drugs that have hit the streets, this trank and 
the meth and the heroin and the fentanyl and all of these things. I'll tell you, many of you, you don't believe in God. I hope not many in here. But there are many people who don't believe in God. But do you believe in the devil? You should believe in the devil because there's evidence all over the place of what the devil does to people. Because God doesn't do that. God never meant that for people. But here's the test. You see them. You see them and you are indifferent. I don't care. I don't pay much, much attention to them. Oak Harbor police do a good job of keeping the riffraff off the streets. Or you look at them and you say, I think I'm going to make a phone call to the Oak Harbor police because they're not doing their duty. We need to keep the riffraff off the streets. Or you see them and your heart goes out to them. You have compassion for them. You think to yourself, that's someone's son. That's someone's daughter. I wonder how they got in that place. See, we can be so cynical and say, well, you know, they shouldn't have used drugs. They shouldn't have done that. There's a lot of things that we shouldn't have done. Adam and Eve shouldn't have, uh, you know, disobeyed God. Adam shouldn't have eaten from the apple. Uh, you know, not the apple. No apple. No apple in Genesis. Whatever fruit it was. He shouldn't have eaten the, the, the fruit. You know, there's a lot of things that people shouldn't have done. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus, he sees the multitude and he has compassion for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. So here's a test. Test yourself the next time you drive around. You see something that, you know, it either makes you mad or makes you sad. If it's making you sad, maybe you're growing spiritually and that's a good thing. Jesus, he... He cares for them. His heart goes out to them. He's moved with compassion. Well, verse 7, Philip answered him, <laughs> 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as many or as much, excuse me, as they wanted and verse 12 says, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. It's beautiful. Well, we know, as I've already mentioned from the gospel accounts, that it wasn't just the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus taught the people. Jesus healed the people that had need of healing. Jesus had compassion for the people. He loved the people that came out to him. But Jesus was also testing his own. Philip, how much would it cost to buy bread for these? Philip gets out his calculator, begins to calculate, <laughs> comes to the conclusion, impossible, can't do it. Do you know that actually um, Suggestions were coming in, and, and it wasn't Jesus' suggestion first that they might 
by bread for the people. The first suggestion actually came from the disciples, and their suggestion was send them away. Remember that in, in, in Matthew and in Mark's gospel? Send them away. Send them away. Now, if you read it, you can say, oh, Dan, you're being cynical. They were concerned for the people as well, and it was getting late, and, and, and I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that they were promised a deserted place by themselves to rest. And all these people were keeping them from doing that. So they just wanted them to go in and be able to buy the food on their own. But can I remind you of these disciples, again, who were men, who were people like us, with natures like us? Don't ever read the Bible and think that everyone in the Bible was supernatural. It's not true. They were men and women like us. See, when we do the supernatural thing, then we just distance ourselves from them and say, well, I'm not like them. No, we're just like them. The supernatural one is Jesus, God in the flesh. Elijah wasn't God in the flesh. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet who ever lived according to Jesus, he wasn't God in the flesh. He was a man. He was a man with a mission. He was a man with a mission who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what the Lord had called him to do. The very things, by the way, not the same calling, but the very things that the Lord promised us. He's given us the mission, and he has filled us and empowered us with his Holy Spirit, and he's given us his word so that we might go out and do our mission. Jesus, his disciples, on another occasion, remember when the Syrophoenician woman, she was a Gentile, her daughter was uh, in great need. She comes to Jesus, and the disciples, remember what they said to Jesus? His disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. For she cries out after us. I wonder if Jesus ever looked at them and just kind of shook his head, you know, crying out after us. It would be egotistical for Jesus to say what was really happening. She's not crying out after us, she's crying out after me. Jesus had compassion on the Syrophoenician woman, the give and take, the back and forth. She got what she needed. Her child was delivered. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, the second suggestion, of course, came from Jesus. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And as I mentioned, Philip calculates, determines it's impossible. I almost wonder if Philip leaned over to Jesus and said, maybe we should send them away. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're running out of options here. Guys, are you following this? This is humanity. That won't work. That won't help. I'm running out of options. I'm telling you, it's freeing. Once we realize that our list, our hopeful list, is very, very short, once we run through that, there's one that remains, and that's the Lord. That's the Lord. Well, we're told that Jesus said this to test him, that he knew what he would do. Well, the third, the third suggestion came from Andrew. Look at verse 9. It says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves, which barley, by the way, was the least desirable um, bread that you would want. 
the, the kind of for the, for the poor man, if you will, and two small fish. So I wonder, did the boy, no, no, I got some really wonderful input between services. And one of them was from my wife. I'm gonna share what she shared with me. I probably won't remember it like she shared. It was so rich. Another one came from another lady in the church who's done children's ministry for decades, Ro. Ro came up and she said, you know, because I kind of made a joke out of it. I said, did the boy, the little lad, did he offer his lunch? Or did Andrew come up and say, hey, kid, what do you got in the bag? <laughs> and because she's a Sunday school teacher, deep down in her heart, she said, you know, little children, they listen, they watch. And as she's talking, I'm kind of picturing it in my mind's eye, you know, yeah. Maybe, maybe the little guy was, was there and, and there was the huddle, you know, Jesus and his guys, and, and they're talking about their options, and maybe there were other options that aren't recorded in the scripture, and the little lad, he's just sitting there and he's listening, and, and they, they, they come up with an option, they come up with an idea, and then someone says, oh, that's ridiculous, that's not going to help, and, and finally the little boy says, well, you, you, could have, you could have my lunch. Maybe that's what happened. We don't know what prompted this, but, but it was so little. Five barley loaves, probably the size of a biscuit, you know, and, and, and two small fish. Do you know that John doesn't tell us, but Matthew and Mark and Luke, they tell us that Jesus, at some point, as this was happening, that he actually said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Do you think he was testing them? Well, we know he was testing Philip. You know, guys, the ego is a strange thing. The ego. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but will you remember this verse, this month and beyond? Pride comes before the fall. Some of you will catch what I'm saying. But, you know, there are people who get all caught up in their own importance, you know. They, the 12, they go out two by two. And I want you to keep in mind that Judas was right along with them. You know, many times we want to see Judas as like, you know, the guy with the horns in the back of the crowd, you know. And there's no indication, because none of the, none of the 12 when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, none of them said, it's got to be Judas. Look at him. He's got those, those dark shadows under his eyes, you know, those horns or a dead giveaway, you know. No, no one ever thought that. Judas had been blessed with the opportunity, just like the others, to pray for those who were sick, to cast out demons, to partake in the ministry of Christ? But I wonder, you know, maybe they came back and maybe they started feeling like, you know, uh, you know, if this thing with Jesus doesn't work out, I, I'm kind of thinking that I might break out on my own. Take this thing on the road. 
the Peter and Andrew crusade. <laughs> you know, you got to have a, you got to have some niche, you know, something different, especially, you know, in today's Christianity, you know. Well, we do miracles by casting nets over the heads of people. It's a miraculous thing. God honors it every time we go out and we, you know. And you just wonder because the Lord is training them. The Lord knows I'm going. I've come for, for, for a purpose. The purpose is the cross. I am, I am the lamb who was slain before the creation of the earth. Uh, the cross is not a mistake. It's not an afterthought of God. It was set in motion before the earth was spoken into existence. Because God is God. He's outside of time. He knows all things. He knows the beginning to the end and everything in between. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. I won't be here. But you guys are going to stay here. You're going to remain. Slowly but surely, you'll go as well. You know, they're going to cut you down uh, because you're my followers. But you're going to remain. You have a task. You have a mission. And I want you to learn things. I want you to learn humility. I want you to learn that it's not I but Christ. I want you to learn that the people don't need you. They need me, Jesus might say. I want you to learn that it's a privilege, it's an honor to serve people in my name. So how do you learn something like that? You know, sitting down like this, this is probably, you know, I love doing this because I'm up here. But this is probably... <laughs> the weakest form of training, sitting and listening. If we were out doing the work, if we had older men and women in Christ that were out doing the work of Christ, and they were taking the younger people along with them and training them, those younger people, men, they'd be growing leaps and bounds. How do, I, how do you know how to do ministry? Because I was trained to do ministry. How were you trained to do ministry? By watching ministry done, by doing ministry. That's how I learned ministry. How did you learn how to have the right attitude, the right perspective as you're doing ministry? From making mistakes. From, for, for, for being you know, disciplined in my <laughs> disobedience, but continuing on. The Lord was training them. It was beautiful. Jesus, in verse 10, he says to make the people sit down. And I imagine the disciples, the 12, you know, wondering, what's he going to do? Maybe some of them would say, uh, I don't know what he's going to do, but we know it's going to be good. They're learning as they're watching. And Jesus, verse 11, Jesus took the loaves. Do you know that John doesn't tell us, but, but the other three tell us that Jesus took, that Jesus blessed, that Jesus broke, that Jesus gave the loaves. Who did he give the loaves to? He gave the loaves to the disciples. Think of this, guys. Men, you're tired. Men, I know that you're hoping for alone time, downtime. Deserted location, rest. But men, it's time to serve. 
What do you want us to serve, Lord? My miracle. I think this is so beautiful. From the hands of Jesus, the miracle took place in the hands of Jesus. From the hands of Jesus to the disciples' hands, and then they go out and distribute the miracle to the people. Guys, listen. It is a blessing to help people that are in need, or just to bless people, isn't it? It's such an honor, doesn't it? I mean, it's a selfish thing, but I just got to point out the humanity of it. Doesn't it make you feel good when you help somebody? It does. And if you're a Christian, many times you'll go away from that situation and say, thank you, Lord, that I was there. Thank you, Lord, that I was able to help that person. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not indifferent toward those people. Thank you, Lord, that I must be growing in you, Lord, that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, my, my nature is changing. I, now I'm getting involved in things that I should be involved in. Jesus. Well, I, I think of this. Whenever I look at this, you know, Jesus, he took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave the loaves. I think, well, that's what the Father did to Jesus. The Father he took the bread of life. By the way, John's gospel account, his account, placed where it is. If we're paying attention, guys, it's so fantastic because he uses the feeding of the 5,000 as an introduction to the bread of life, the true bread of heaven. That's how he lays this whole thing out. It's all about one of the I am's of Jesus. I am the bread of life. You see? So there's a, there's a purpose by, behind this. The Holy Spirit leading, of course, each uh, writer of scripture to write in the way that he wanted them to write. But Father took Jesus. He blessed Jesus. He broke Jesus. He gave Jesus to bless others with forgiveness and salvation. You say, I don't get it. Well, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Do you remember the context of that? Some Greeks came, and they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus, he doesn't really respond to them. Sometimes it seems like Jesus is being rude, you know. But he wasn't being rude, and that's when he makes a statement. He says, oh, there'll be... There'll be plenty of time. It won't be just the Jews who are blessed, the Greeks, the Gentiles, you know, they'll be blessed as well. But first things first, this kernel of wheat must die. It must die. See, so many lessons, so many beautiful things that the Lord was teaching. And then verse 12 tells us that they were filled, and I wonder just as a man, as I read the scriptures, I wonder to myself, was this the best bread and fish that the people had ever eaten? Now, nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that. Or, or was this the most bread and fish the people had ever eaten? Or, if you're familiar with chapter 6, you'll understand this question. Or was it just a free meal? that the people were glad to partake of. But really nothing more than that. We'll see that in a few weeks. I wonder, 
I wonder if anyone came up to Jesus or the disciples after this miraculous meal and said, I just want to thank you. That was a great meal. You know, guys, I'm telling you, this is a plague, not only upon our culture, not only upon the world, but it's becoming a plague upon the church when you have people that are not thankful. There should be this gratitude that just wells up in our heart. You know, I mentioned, you know, the, the, the people on the, the streets when you see people. And, and I just, you know, the other day I was driving through town and, you know, they had recently cleared a, a little homeless uh, camp, you know, there by Swantown in the highway. So they cut down all of that, those blackberry bushes. And so I was wondering why there were so many, uh, you know, like there was a train of, uh, of grocery carts, and I thought, where, where, boy, that's a lot of stuff, you know, where's he going? You know, one person has this train of, you know, and he must have been kicked out of that thing. But as I'm driving by, you know, again, you wonder of the stories, but I found myself just saying, thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not addicted to drugs. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not addicted to alcohol. Because, you know, drugs and alcohol make people do some really hideous things. And drugs and alcohol make people numb. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm not that. Because I could have been that, Lord. I mean, I, I, I come from a, a, a line of alcoholics and, and drug addicts. I mean, that's, that's my family line on both sides of the family, you know. And I thank you, Lord, for that's that. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not homeless. See, in pride, we could say, I'd never be homeless. I work for a living. Well, thank you, God, for the body that I have so that I can work for a living. Thank you, Lord, for the mind that I have, that I could do the things that I do. Thank you, Lord. See, that should be the attitude of the believer, that all good gifts come from him. There should be this attitude of gratitude, because if there's not, we will become cynical, and we will, by default, become unthankful. Oh, it's a beautiful day out there. Have we had the most beautiful weather the, the past? Oh, gosh, it's so gorgeous. Tracy and I were walking from our house. We walked down. We go to uh, EB Beach, one of our favorite beaches. We're walking along, and, you know, you see the Olympic mountain range there. And it's so beautiful. You turn back, and you see the San Juan Islands. And we always say, I mean, we act like we've seen it for the first time. But we lived here. We lived here longer than any other place, you know, 35 years. And we'll just say, this is the most gorgeous place. This is so beautiful. Oh, it's so wonderful, you know. You're say, you might say, well, you're saying that because it's sunny. Wait till the clouds come back. Listen, we've lived here a long time. The clouds could be there in the afternoon. But we give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that our bodies function. Some people don't have... You know, when they get older, things begin to happen. Maybe they're unable to walk on these rocks down on their way to EB. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the meal, Lord. Thank you for having compassion upon us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He tells the disciples to pick up the fragments. And this is what Tracy was sharing with me. And it was so rich, and I won't do it justice. But Tracy was saying, the Lord is concerned with the fragments. He's concerned with the leftovers. Nothing is disposable to the Lord. What else did you say? You said some really profound things, but it was just, you're just saying how 
uh, you know, the Lord is so concerned about the smallest of details. And in my thinking, as you, as you were talking, I was thinking of, um, I made mention of it a few weeks ago, Randy Stonehill, Christian singer. I like him. You got to be old, I guess, to like him. But he had a, a song about the starlings. And, and I mentioned that. And a number of the younger guys looked up that song and they've listened to the, that song and they've come to me and said, I really like that song. And they will kind of tell me what they gleaned from the song. But the starlings, you know, these pests to the farmers, useless starlings. And then he talks about meeting this girl, this woman at 7 Eleven. Her skin is leathered and worn. He says, what's your name? She says, pick one. I'm hungry. And he relates the starlings, a pest to the farmers, as the starlings, the people that might be the outcast, you know. And I think of that, how the Lord is concerned about the fragments. And we should be people who are concerned about the fragments. And the text goes on, and I'm out of time, surprise, surprise, that uh, <laughs> verse 14, and those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. You know, guys, as you read the scriptures, again, it's so beautiful, it's so amazing, Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. It's not a magical thing. It's a very practical thing. John connects. Last week we ended our text last week with these words of Jesus. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Do you remember that last week? This week he ties in that, because for us it's a week. When he's writing, he's just simply writing, you know. It's all tied in together. And he says, Moses wrote of me. And there were people who were paying attention and they said, you know, this must be, this has to be the one that Moses spoke of. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will rise up, raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Do you know that that in the Hebrew, shall hear, or the King James, I use the New King James. The King James, I think, uses the word to hearken. It literally means to hear intelligently by giving attention and obedience to. But it also carries with it to tell. It's not just hearing. It's telling. I think when I look at this, the Lord's been driving this home in my life for a long, long time. Because I know how, as a man, I could become so cynical. And you know, you could always see the, the cup as, as half empty. <laughs> oh, curse our cell phones. But we could become so cynical, you know. Or we could, we could choose to be thankful. And you know what I've found? That... When people, God's people, when we choose to be thankful, we're even more blessed. Now, now listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, God says, oh, because you're thankful, I'm going to bless you. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know if God does that or not. 
But I think the person, the believer, who is thankful is more blessed because, hold on, it's profound, because they're thankful. I mean, that's simple, you know, that I'm just, I'm thankful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. These 12, Judas, of course, he was distraught that he had betrayed the Lord. And rather than doing what Peter did, who denied the Lord, he didn't repent, he hung himself. He felt like there was no other option. Really sad. But you look at these men, Peter and John, at the end of the gospel account of this particular gospel account, remember that Jesus told Peter, who was embarrassed, humiliated because of what he had done. Jesus had asked Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you agape me? Third time, do you phileo me? Are you fond of me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know all things. Peter, when you were young, remember that? He told Peter how he would die. And remember how Peter responded? No, Lord, not that. No, he didn't say that. He said, what about him? <laughs> what about John? What is, is he going to go before I go? That's all I want to know. I'm not really concerned about the details of how I go. I just want to make sure that he doesn't stick around. And then Jesus said, you know, if I want him to stick around until I come. And remember, then there was a rumor that John will not die before Jesus returns. You look at the disciples and you see the humanity and the Mario you guys come on up please you see the humanity you see the egos you see the clash you know of all, all these different things but then as you follow these men years later they you look at their epistles and you look at Peter and what does Peter highlight Peter highlights the suffering of the believer first epistle the second epistle, the assurance of the coming of the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful. John, one of the sons of thunder. You read his epistles. What does he do? He talks about love. I'm so overwhelmed by God's love. Remember, he, he, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote his gospel account long after those events took place. And for him, as he was writing, that was his personal touch. It's almost as if he was saying, I cannot believe that Jesus loved a guy like me. And he was just so moved by that. You look at the Apostle Paul. You talk about a man with an ego. Man, that was, his, that was popped early on, wasn't it? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, Saul, you think you're persecuting my church, but you're persecuting me. Do you know, Saul, that I'm taking this personally? And Paul, he writes, <laughs> he writes more of the New Testament than any other. He says, I am the chief of sinners. He says it in the present tense. 
He says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. He says, paraphrased, I'm Johnny come lately. I persecuted the church. I wasn't even there when Jesus, you know, I wasn't interested in Jesus. I was, a, I, 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 I was one that would stand by and, and, and say, crucify him, crucify him. But the Lord has been so gracious to me. And I would venture to say that even in this room, there are probably people that would say, I can't believe that the Lord loves me, a guy like me, a gal like me. I blasphemed the Lord. I spoke against him. I, I did this. I did that. I was so horrible toward him. But the Lord, one time when we were in Grass Valley at the Calvary Chapel there, one of the elders at the church um, was teaching a Wednesday night, and he was sharing a story of uh, before coming to Christ. And he said, my wife used to attend this church, Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley. He said, she would come home from church. He said, I would take a ballpoint pen, like a big pen. Is that ballpoint? And he would rip the pages of her Bible and mock her. And then he started crying. I said, I can't believe that God would love someone like me. I was such a hater. This is a wonderful message that, that the Lord has given to us. We get to share the miracle with others, and the miracle is this. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. Christ died for you. You could be saved. Place your faith in Christ. Be forgiven of your sins. He'll give you his spirit. Your life will become new, brand new in him. You'll become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You'll give, he'll give you purpose for life, not just living for your own pleasures, but truly living for Christ. If you've not received Christ, place your faith in Jesus. Live for Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray that if there are any here or listening or downstairs in the cafe that have yet to surrender their life to you, Lord, they might be here and they might say, man, I'm a muck. I don't believe these things. What a joke. What a waste of time. But, Lord, we know that you could break through all of that. You've done it in our lives, Lord. You could do it in their lives. But we pray, Lord Jesus, that there wouldn't be any person in this room, downstairs, in this building, listening online, that would not be convicted of their own sin and turn to you in acknowledgement and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me. Make me new, Lord. Make me a new creature. Give me purpose. Give me a mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.